This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Our scripture this morning comes to us from Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. So we have a fishing story this morning, friends, and who doesn't love a good fishing story? even if you're not into fishing. And if this story sounds familiar, it's because it also occurs, or at least one very like it, occurs in the Gospel of John. Only there, in John's Gospel, it's at the end of the story, after the resurrection, when Jesus tells them to throw their nets on the other side. Notice that isn't included in this version. Here in Luke's gospel, it occurs at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry rather than at the end. Now, it could be that they're totally, two totally separate occurrences, two totally separate stories, right, that are somewhat similar. More likely, I think, it is probably the same story told at different times for different purposes by the gospel writers. But isn't that how fishing stories go, right? They morph and change over time with slight variations at each telling. In any case, of course, our focus this morning is on how Luke tells it here in the fifth chapter of his gospel. Now, in the chapter prior, Luke 4, Jesus had just eaten at Simon Peter's home and healed his mother-in-law. And so Jesus has apparently met some of these fishermen already, but they are not yet his disciples. So he doesn't really know them very well. 
And here he is on the shore of the Lake of Gennesaret, or known more familiarly to us as the Sea of Galilee. And a crowd is beginning to gather to hear Jesus speak. In fact, it says the crowd is pressing in on him. So much so that it's perhaps getting a bit awkward there on the beach. As they're encroaching on his space there on the sand, Jesus is perhaps, you know, trying to backpedal a little bit, running out of real estate as he approaches the water. But as he does so, he notices a couple of boats. A few fishermen are there next to the boats, washing their nets, a sure sign that they're done fishing for the day, right? They're scrubbing their equipment before they stow it away. Can I use your boat, mate? Jesus inquires. I added the mate part. <clears throat> sure thing, they say. So they put out into the water just enough to create a little distance from the crowd, but not so far that folks can't hear Jesus when he's speaking. And then he sits down to teach as a rabbi would do. Now, sadly, Luke does not give us the content of Jesus' teachings. Right? We don't get one word of it here. It would be nice, right, to have a transcript of this particular teaching session happens, <clears throat> happening early in his ministry as he's sitting there in the boat. Man, come on, gospel writer, right? You had, <laughs> you had one job, right? Tell us what happened. But the content of the speech isn't the focus of this story, right? It is more performative than prescriptive. It's an embodiment of what Jesus will teach an embodiment of what he's already spoken of at the nearby synagogue in Nazareth. So, gets in the boat, does some teaching, the teaching wraps up, and Jesus is sitting there in the boat with these fishermen who he really doesn't know that well at this early stage. Maybe there were a few awkward moments. Simon is probably like, okay, well, if it's all the same with you, I'd like to Head in now if you're done with your little talk. But Jesus has other ideas. Hey, head out into deeper waters, why don't you? In fact, head out into deeper waters and throw your nets out for a catch. Maybe Jesus is hungry, or maybe he just wants to see these local fishermen plying their trade. Well, Peter, who has just finished washing his nets, right? You do that when you're done. He's just finished washing his nets after a long shift all night at sea. Says, listen, mate, we've worked all night long and caught nothing. And you wouldn't blame Peter for thinking, who is this guy? He hasn't caught a fish in his whole life and he's going to tell me how to do my job? Please. Yet even if he's thinking that, he doesn't let on. Instead, he complies. We've already done this drill. Hasn't worked, but if you say so, we'll let down the nets. And so with a sigh and possibly an eye roll, Peter lets down the nets. Well, what happens next is the instructive moment in our story, much more so than whatever was said during the time of teaching. So they let down the nets, and such a large amount of fish are caught that they need help. They need help. And so they have to signal to their friends in the other boat to come out and assist. 
And in fact, Luke doesn't just say reaching out to his friends. Luke uses the word partners. Partners, a reminder that this is their livelihood. This is how they make a living. This is their business. A reminder that a long night without catching fish would lead to them going home empty-handed and facing a bunch of hungry stomachs with nothing to show. But the gospel, as Jesus has already highlighted, is good news for the poor. It is the year of the Lord's favor. It is abundance and jubilee. And so the disciples, before they are even called by Jesus, experienced firsthand the gospel in action. A gospel which requires the cooperative work of the community on behalf of the community. Wendell Berry puts it this way, a good community ensures itself by trust, by good faith and goodwill, by mutual help. A good community, in other words, is a good local economy. And so here by mutual help, these fishermen experience true abundance. This is probably their best day in ages, maybe ever. And it happens when they operate within trust, right? Trust in Jesus and trust in each other. It happens when they cooperate and work together. It happens when they give it one more go after a night and perhaps a long stretch of failure. <clears throat> well, Simon and his friends, James and John, again referred to as a second time here as Simon's partners are completely astonished at this catch of fish. Simon so much so that he falls to his knees and says, I'm a sinful man. I don't measure up. I'm not worthy of experiencing such abundance. Now what happens next usually leads to a misreading of this story. Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And Luke says that these fishermen pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. They leave their livelihoods behind at the moment they've just experienced their best catch. And often this reads as, the takeaway is, full-time ministry and evangelism are more important than anything else you could do with your life. And people are then led to feel bad when they haven't left their jobs as teachers, as small business owners, as counselors, real estate agents, cooks, mechanics, <clears throat> right, and so on, in order to pursue some sort of full-time ministry. But I think we are to read this and see it as the gospel enacted. The gospel enacted exactly as Jesus declared it to be, good news for the poor. The kind of good news that can happen precisely where you already are when you invest in and work together with those nearest you in your community, in your neighborhood. The disciples are not so much rejecting their livelihood as fishermen as much as they're ready to help others be better fishermen, better tradesmen, and day laborers, and stonemasons, and carpenters, and field hands, and neighbors. They want 
others to experience the abundance that Jesus has showed them is possible when we work together in mutual trust and cooperation. Now, when I grew up, uh, ministers were held up as, right, as the sort of paragon or pinnacle of humanity, right? If you became a minister, that was the highest calling one could imagine. In fact, we even called our pastor Domine, which translated means Lord. It was a big deal when the Domine came to visit, right? Clean the house, get the snacks ready. Preferably, write some windmill cookies. And when I was in evangelical circles in college, we would read a text like this as a call that everyone should abandon, everyone, if possible, should abandon regular work and commit themselves to evangelism and converting people to Christianity. Anything else was less than what God wanted for you. Well, I think that is all a bunch of bollocks. God may indeed be calling you to something new at any given point of your life. But it is just as possible that God wants you right where you are, with new eyes, with a new sense of what is possible. If the gospel is truly good news for the poor, then we need to recover a gospel of shared economy, of equity, of empowerment, of working hard and working not just for my own good, but for the good of my neighbor and my wider community. Now, in some ways, this is counterintuitive to us today, right? Because we live amid a global economy which promises us unprecedented economic growth. And yet this global economy can come at a cost. I've been noticing uh, Walmart ads recently that are working really hard to remake Walmart's image, right? To show it as a friendly neighborhood place. But how many local businesses owned locally by people invested in their own communities have had to close their doors when a Walmart arrived in town and simply through scale undercut their ability to do their business? A good, uh, sorry, a global economy might be good for some, but it can also devastate local economies. Albert Schweitzer wrote nearly 60 years ago regarding the economic situation in the colonies of Africa, whenever the timber trade is good, permanent famine reigns in the Agawe region because the villagers abandon their farms to fell as many trees as possible. Right? These local people abandon their traditional farming practices, which would feed them to fell trees that they can sell to the global economy. Schweitzer added, these people could achieve true wealth if instead they continue to develop their own agriculture and trade to meet their own needs. Instead, they produced timber for export to the, quote, world economy, which made them then dependent upon imported goods that they bought with money earned from their exports. They gave up their local means of subsistence, of making a living, and imposed the false standard of foreign demand, remember as many trees as possible, upon their forests, they thus became helplessly dependent upon an economy over which they had no control. Wendell Berry sums it up this way. Such was the fate of the native people under the African colonialism of Schweitzer's time. 
Such is and can only be the fate of everybody under the global colonialism of our time. The free trade, Barry continues, which from the standpoint of the corporate economy brings, quote, unprecedented economic growth from the standpoint of the land and its local populations and ultimately from the standpoint of the cities is destruction and slavery. Without prosperous local economies, the people have no power and the land has no voice. One must begin to see the difference between a small local business, Barry writes, that must share the fate of the local community and a large absentee corporation that is set up to escape the fate of the local community by ruining the local community. Powerful stuff there. And of course, friends, there aren't easy answers here, and economics is a complicated subject. But if the gospel truly is good news for the poor, and there are approximately 2.4 billion Christians in the world today, then we have to ask, why are there so many people who are poor? 10% of the world today lives on less than $2 a day. That's over 700 million people. It's time to realize that all these fish we're pulling in with our globalist free trade nets are meant to be shared. Amen. And may it be so. invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.